0: I'm not sure about you, but it kind of drives me crazy when people uh, say i 've got good news and i 've got bad news because it 's like, "Oh, here we go you 're messing with my emotions well i 'm going to be that guy this morning, so I have good news and I have bad news, um, but we can temper the bad news with some encouragement, so I have Good news, bad news, and some good news about the bad news. So that's what we're going to do this morning as we hear from Jesus. And we're looking at the 10th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can find Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to look at a large section of scripture this morning, so we're not going to pre-read it. 26 verses, we're going to look at verses 16 to 42. And let me kind of set things up for you, especially if you're just joining us. What we've seen throughout the gospel account is Jesus helping all different kinds of people, uh, explaining who He is. In chapter 1, verse 21, we know He's named Jesus because He will save His people from their sins, and so He's been doing all sorts of amazing things, helping people, and what we've seen is this pattern. Again and again and again, people have been trusting in Him. They've been believing him in Him. They've been putting their faith in Him, and that's how salvation works. And so that's been the pattern. And then in chapter 9, he says to his disciples that there's a great harvest. And in the context, he means harvest of souls. He means there are more and more and more and more. In fact, there are so many people that are going to come to believe in Christ that he's going to commission them and send them out, not as little Christ or other Christ, but as ambassadors, as proclaimers or preachers, so they can preach the good news about Christ. So he talks about uh, there's a need for workers. Pray for workers because there's a great harvest. That's in chapter 9. Now we're in chapter 10 where they're going to be sent out. They're going to be sent out with good news. right? The good news is that you can be saved. You can be delivered. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can be part of God's new creation. Good news to sinners like us. But at this point in time in chapter 10 verse 16 he's going to let the disciples know as he equips them that not everyone is going to think that the good news is good. In fact, there are going to be some who think the good news is actually criminal. Okay? This this sermon's a downer. Sorry to tell you now. Maybe it's why we're doing all the verses at once because I can't take two weeks of it. I mean, it's a downer. But there's, there's, there's balm, there's ointment, there's medicine mixed in because Jesus is telling them the truth. And even though some of the truth is going to be painful to hear, He is telling them the truth. And he, he gives encouragement along the way. Okay, And we're not them, but we do unite here together as people who believe in Jesus Christ. We think the good news is good, but we live in a world where not everyone we know thinks the good news is good. In fact, sometimes people who are the closest to us, heartbreakingly so, thinks that the good news that we think is good is bad, maybe even criminal. Okay, so brace yourself, prepare yourself. But in one sense, this is an equipping seminar, getting you ready to face real life. Okay, and Jesus is kind enough to tell us things ahead of time. Okay, verse 20... uh, We didn't have a mass exodus. I I told you it was going to be a downer. I was just waiting for for people to get up and anyway. I woke up this morning kind of feeling down and I thought maybe this is good because it fits the tone of the sermon. I preached through Ecclesiastes years ago and I've never been so depressed in my life. I'm never going to do that ever again. But the thing is, I think somehow in God's providence, just things I was going through and situations in life had me kind of that way and it actually fit the tone the right because that's the tone of the book we need to do some happy stuff next week (laughs) okay here we go let's jump right in verse 16 behold jesus says i am sending you the disciples to become apostles out as sheep in the midst of wolves so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves going to be dangerous, right? Wise as serpents. So don't be stupid about how you do things, okay? But also innocent as doves. There's a good balance there. Don't be deceptive, but you are going to be crafty if need be for survival's sake. Crafty is not necessarily a bad word. It could be used badly or goodly to make up a word, okay? So you're going to be wise, but you're also going to be innocent, not deceptive. Verse 17 says, beware of men, Quite the statement. Beware of men, for they will. Notice it doesn't say if. For these guys, it's a will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. I've said it a million times. I'll say it again. These are the kind of Bible promises that you don't find in the book of Bible Bible promises at the bookstore. Oh, how nice. Another promise. You will. It's a promise, but it's the kind of promise we don't want to hear. But Jesus is truthful. Truthful. It's not going to all be wonderful and happy. It's not all going to be good even though it's good news. They're going to deliver you over. You're going to tell them good news about salvation in Christ and reconciliation with God. And some people are going to deliver you over to the synagogues to be whipped In the synagogue, I've mentioned this before to you, in the ancient world, so the Jewish community, they're going to have their local synagogue and they're going to go there for worship. They're going to go there for instruction. They're going to go there for community activities. It's the hub. They're going to go there for legal disputes. So people are going to press charges against you for doing something blasphemous, illegal to the Jewish mind to the point where they're going to flog you. This This is upside down. This isn't good. This is bad in response to the good news. According to extra biblical writings, first century, one man would read a passage of scripture. A second would count the strokes and a third would give the command before each stroke. 39 strokes, no more in a Jewish synagogue. So backward. So crazy. 18 says, and you will, here's another promise, and you will be dragged before governors, governors like Pilate and kings like Herod for my name's sake, or excuse me, for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So I'll speed up here in a moment, but just for now, let's notice in verse 18, the irony, right? Petty kings like Herod. dealing with the messengers of the king of kings, it's irony. It's very ironic. The long-awaited, anointed one, Messiah, the one who would save his people from their sins, and now his people who represent him are going to be tried by punks like Herod. so strange. So strange. But it's so strange that they crucify Jesus too. Also notice that God does do good even amidst the bad, using bad people doing bad things because they will bear witness before them in the Gentiles. God works in mysterious ways. Sometimes I don't like the ways he works, because it brings pain to me. But we do have a God who's up to something, and a plan and purpose, even if we don't know what it is. And that's good. Let's keep moving on if you don't mind. Verse 19 says, when they deliver you over again not an if when they deliver you over do not be anxious or worried how you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour for it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you Mark 13:11 says the holy spirit the spirit of your father Two things about that. First of all, it, it, it doesn't seem reasonable. I, I'm not going to use this as a verse to have me say, well, if I ever have to do anything official and if, I've, if I'm ever confronted, I'm not going to prepare for it because I've got a Bible verse. I'm just going to wait to get zapped by a charismatic experience. I don't even think that's what was going on there with them. They're eyewitnesses. They've been with Jesus. They're, they're earwitnesses, as I like to say, for effect. They, they, they've seen it all happen. They've, they've heard him speak. They've heard him tell them the truth. And so now, if they get called upon and they, they have to give account, they're going to do so. Because they've got the data to work with. But not only do they have the data, supernaturally recalling the data, supernaturally empowering them, emboldening them, the Holy Spirit is going to help them. So it's not an either or, it's both And. So that seems to be what's going on there, and it's meant to encourage them, but I want that to not only encourage us, I want something else to encourage us that might slip our notice. And you're going to need some encouragement, okay? You're going to need some encouragement when you hear what Jesus has to say beyond this. Do notice that it is your Father's Spirit given to you. Please notice that and keep an eye out for more emphasis on the Father and the household of God. Because it needs to encourage you. You've gone from hostility with God, if you're just a regular old human being. Hostility with God under condemnation because of your sin. Now because of what Christ has done and is going to do for these disciples. Now God is your father. This is really important because we're going to even see there's conflict within families over the good news. You can at least find encouragement, knowing that you have God as your Father, as sure as Jesus has Him as His Father. If you're trusting in Christ, always remember. Don't ever forget. Don't just read past that and say, "Oh, the Spirit of our Father." Not in a generic sense, but because you're part of the family, you're part of part of the household. No longer under condemnation, but now experiencing justification. This is great. No longer alienated, no longer hostile, but now part of God's family. It's meant to encourage them. You're going to go out as sheep with, uh, among wolves. It's going to be dangerous, and they're going to hurt you, and they're going to object and c- consider what you say and teach about morality and Christ and sin and salvation. Criminal. Just remember the spirit of your father. And I'm saying to you, oh, just remember father. I need to know that. That's going to help me later amidst the turmoil. I'm thankful for that. Your father. If you're a Christian, you can say, my father. And I know we say it flippantly and it seems to mean nothing. But if we know anything about sin and what the Bible teaches about hostility between us and God, to have him now as our father is huge. That's good news. That comes because of the gospel. Come what may, if God is my father... Come what may, I'm going to be okay. I don't want to get us too far off track as we need to keep moving. But growing up, I didn't have a perfect father. And I could list all kinds of things I think were not perfect about my father. But I never, ever once, and he died when I was pretty young, so I didn't get to see later in life. I never, ever, ever thought I was in danger because of who my father was. I mean, I could tell you some pretty good stories. You know, the bully would pick on me on the way home and that afternoon my dad would walk to their house. Huh, okay. Bullies didn't mess with me anymore because my dad would go confront the dad. Anyway, I digress. We've got a great, perfect, all-powerful, forgiving, merciful, because of the atoning work of Christ, Heavenly Father, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. You're safe no matter what happens to you circumstantially. We can be thankful for that. Come what may. Well, what may is going to come. Look at verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all, in our context, all kinds, for my name's sake. And, and I just want you to know that I hate those words. And I think you should too. Not because I hate Christ. He tells the truth. I love Christ. So in that sense, I love those words because they're truthful. But I hate those words because that's that's not right. It's not how it's supposed to be. Our very closest relationships, at least in a perfect world, are our very closest relationships. At least in an ideal world, they're the ones we value the most. They're, they're our family. That's right. What he's describing there is wrong. It's insane. It's perverse. It's twisted. And then, if the good news of salvation in Christ, you can be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another through the power of the gospel. So it's wrong on that level, too, because that shows that not everybody is trusting in Christ, which is not, not good and, and helpful either. This is awful. Sin is awful. Sin distorts things. Sin messes things up. This is tragic. Jesus brings eternal life, reconciliation to God, but there's a sting in the tail for some and that's that they don't want Him and they don't want His people. This is just the downer. I'm glad He says it because it gets us ready. But you think, oh man. One thing that Jesus has emphasized and John the Baptist has emphasized and the apostles will, will emphasize, they'll say, good news. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here. And there's something else they say that even when it's not said, it's built in, it's implied. Repent. Repent. You're not ready for the king. You're not ready for the kingdom. There's something fundamentally flawed about you. You have a problem. Not all people are good. In fact, no people are good inherently so. You must repent. You can't think of Jesus as a good teacher to follow. You can't think that you're ready and you're okay. You have to see Jesus as the unique one who can save you from your your sins. And there comes the rub. You, you folks are here today and you like to sing about sin. <laughs> Christians are like, oh yeah, dead in trespasses and sins. I want to hear that sermon again. And, and it's just normal to us because we celebrate redemption. We celebrate our, our, the power of Christ to make atonement for our sin. And so we don't mind saying, I have a lot of sin. I have a lot of guilt. And I have a great Savior. I'm so thankful that He opened my eyes up to, to, to acknowledge this. And so for us, it's normal, but it's not normal. It's supernatural to come to grips with the fact that you're spiritually wrong and wrong-headed. And so your very closest relationships at times are going to be the most hostile, and that's not right. But that's what happens when you don't see Jesus for who He is. And Jesus is kindly, generously, wisely warning His disciples and by extension warning us there's going to be hostility. Maybe one reason why this is so troubling to me and I, it bothers me so much is maybe I just was too cold-hearted at the beginning of my life. I, I, I don't know. But the longer I'm a Christian and the older I get, maybe it's because I, I, have, I have more relationships that I care about, more people that I care about and, and have an earnest desire. I love people. I, I, I want people to love me back. I, I want them to love my Savior but the older I get, the more disheartening this is. It's like, really? If you're the kind of person that doesn't want to have good relationships, you need counseling, okay? If you're the kind of person who doesn't want to have a good relationship with your family, that, 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 that's not right, okay? The normal, natural thing is to want to have a good relationship with those you naturally are supposed to have a good relationship with. And so when that becomes where it's divided, it hurts. Pressure is going to come. 22 goes on to say, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's meant to be the good news that comes after the bad news. So, just know, as this is, this is hard, and this person's going to be against you, and that person's going to be against you, and you're going to feel the rub here, and, and what in the world is happening. Jesus is encouraging, saying, Continue to look to me, continue to, to trust in me, to see me, me as the one who came to save his people from their sins, and, and you do that to the end, and you know what? The ultimate thing is the most important thing, and that's salvation. And the Bible does teach perseverance of the saints. We see it right here. And Jesus is encouraging it because there's something good that comes as a result. Jesus above all others. I like to put it this way. When we're thinking about this whole passage, I'm a Christian first. I want to be good at lots of other things and lots of other relationships. And and I, I want to do better. But I have to remember, and you have to remember, that the takeaway is I'm a Christian first. And so that affects the way I view things. That affects what I say is right. That affects what I say is wrong. That affects my ultimate allegiance. And I want to enjoy lots of other allegiances to the, to, insofar as I can. But I'm a Christian first. Then it says, verse 23, another one that we don't like so much. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. One takeaway there is you may be a martyr, but you don't have to have a martyr complex, <laughs> right? They, they, they may lose their life and be beaten and persecuted, but he does give them the wisest serpents. You know what? If you can get out, get out. Go somewhere else. They're going to go throughout all the towns of Israel, or or they will not have gone throughout all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. We have to pause there just for a moment because it's one of those things that makes Bible scholars go, hmm, what's that about? What does that mean? Remember earlier, last week, we saw they're only going to go to the Jews at this point in time. Gentiles are going to come later but they're only going to go to the Jews at this point in time Jew first also to the Greek later they're going to go there and Jesus is is telling his disciples you know what you're not even going to be done evangelizing the Jews and the son of man will come and I go that seems odd it sounds like a second coming kind of thing judgment bringing restoration reconciliation justice equity sounds very second coming coming ish I don't think it's a second coming because those disciples aren't going to even be finished evangelizing the Jews and the Son of Man is going to come. Hmm. So, what is it? Did Jesus not know what he was saying? And you said it wrong? Uh, I don't think so, not only because I'm a Christian, I don't think so because Matthew, as a disciple, historian, eyewitness, is writing this. And Matthew writes it after it's all happened. So, If Matthew, if Matthew hears Jesus to mean, and the second coming is going to happen before you guys are done evangelizing the Jews, and the second coming doesn't happen, if I'm Matthew, I'm either going to A, change it, if I want to start a new religion or keep one, or I'm not going to be a disciple anymore because I wouldn't follow for my life one who said things are true and aren't true. Now, we're getting way off track, I know, but we got to learn how to think about this stuff the Son of Man will come. So others think, good, faithful Bible believers, He does come in judgment, in a sense, in in, in AD 70 and the destruction of the temple. Certainly God's judgment comes through the Romans and the temple is destroyed and Matthew 24, we'll get into the prefiguring and of those things later, maybe. But you have to also know The Son of Man is a messianic title. It's an official title. The one who will rule and reign. The one who will be enthroned. Okay? And so when Jesus does all that he does, lives a perfect life, goes to the cross, dies an atoning death, is raised from the dead, vindicated, that is actually at the resurrection when God pronounces him. Okay, As the one. He did his work. It is accomplished. That's why Psalm 2 says what it says. Today I have begotten you. He's not talking about his birth. Today at the resurrection I have installed my king. I've enthroned my king. And then what happens next? And by the way, that's quoted in Hebrews. It's quoted in Romans 1. All tied to the resurrection. And then what happens when the Son of Man comes back from the dead? He comes in that sense. He then ascends the ascension. What do you ascend? You ascend because you go to a throne. He is installed as the Son of Man. In other words... His work is done. He really and truly is the one. Philippians 2 talks about his humility that comes first, then his death, act of humility, and then he is highly exalted. That's what you do to a king royalty. That's what you do with one who is none other than the long-awaited Daniel chapter 7, son of man. So takeaway is, you won't even be done evangelizing the Jews, and my work will be done, and I'll have proven to be the son of man. And I will be exalted. Okay? So takeaway then is be encouraged. Be encouraged. I'm going to be that one. The resurrected one. Now let's move on. Verse 24 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. See, that's, that's how we want to be. You are a disciple of someone because you want to be like them. Okay? Then he says, But if they have called the master out, uh, master of the house Beelzebul, prince of demons, how much more will they malign those of his household? So again, it's natural. We're trying to be like him. He, he's, our, he's our master. He's our disciple. But Jesus is saying, You know what is involved with that? you know what they've been saying about me, that I do miracles because I'm demonically empowered. And if you're part of my household, it's going to make sense that they're going to insult you and malign you and do bad things to you too. If you're signing up for something that's really good, salvation from sin, but notice what they did to me, they're going to do bad to you as well. Do take notice though, do take courage, do take comfort. He does say that we're part of his household. And so that helps us, Christ's household, because of his work, we're part of his family by grace through faith in him. Let's step back just for another moment and talk about how unreasonable sin is. Jesus does things before their very eyes, eyewitnesses, they hear what he says, objective, in time, in space. I've been saying throughout Matthew's gospel account when we've been studying this, you're not crazy if you're a Christian because you're not putting your faith in faith and you're not putting your faith in fantasy. We're talking about history, eyewitnesses. Matthew's just one of the camera angles. They're all complementary, different angles. We have the other gospel accounts. You're not crazy if you're a Christian, but sin makes people crazy. Sin makes people crazy. Jesus does the miraculous before all of their eyes to see. The conclusion is he claims to be the Messiah. They're waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah is supposed to be able to do these things. He's the devil. What? Huh? That's bizarre. Sin is bizarre. Sin is bizarre. John chapter 3 says... In verse 19, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's that, just insane. I think there are irrational Christians, but Christianity is not irrational. Sin is irrational. I have a solution to your problem. I have a solution to the biggest problem known to humanity. Look to Christ. He came to save his people from their sins. Proven to be so. He's the devil. What? I love darkness. What? Everyone in this room, I would venture to say, everyone in this room sees the irrationality of people's (laughs) sins. Provided it's not yours. Okay? Even if you are the biggest sinner in the room. Can I see a show of hands? No. <laughs> Even if you're the, the biggest sinner in the room, quote unquote, you can probably see the insanity of sin in other people's lives. Where they're destroying their lives and destroying themselves and destroying others and destroying relationships. And you think, are, why, don't, why, why are you doing that? Don't you see? I saw some people in a park a week ago who clearly had been and were destroying their lives and I just thought it's so insane. It's so bad. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. But see, it's really hard to see when I'm doing sinful things and I'm destroying relationships and I'm destroying my life in different ways. My point is sin is insane and it makes people insane. We love darkness. But ultimately, by God's grace, when Jesus, who is the light, comes, by God's grace, if you see him for who he is, you trust in him, and that's called spiritual sanity. Spiritual insanity would be then persecuting you, counting what you believe about Christ to be criminal. It's good news to you, but it's not good news to other people. And that's going to be how it is for some people. Jesus is warning us. I think sometimes we need to warn people who would just become Christians. We're like, oh, do you want to have a fulfilled life? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to have all good new relationships? Do you want to not sin? Do you want to not lust? Do you want to have everything balanced and perfect in your life? Well, you should pray and ask Jesus into your heart. Well, I think you should pray and ask Jesus into your heart, but you might want to read Matthew chapter 10. <laughs> you might want to know what you're getting into. Because you might be spiritually sane, but it doesn't mean everybody in your life is going to be spiritually sane, and it might actually make your life worse to be a Christian. It's better ultimately, but let's be honest. Jesus is being patently honest. Here's what you're getting into. But he he encourages, he encourages them even more. So have, in verse 26, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Justice will be served is what he's getting at. Don't don't worry about it. God sees it all. There will be vindication. You're not the crazy one, in other words. Then 27 says, What I tell you in the dark, here we're having a private meeting, not in, in public, say in the light before all to see. And what you hear whispered, again in this private meeting, I want you to proclaim or preach or herald as good news on housetops. They all need to hear. Faith comes by hearing. So what I'm telling you, you announce to everybody Interesting in the context, it might mean your life. But it's worth it. It's the means to eternal life. And then he addresses fear again in verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The whole person, in other words. So here I am. I fear people. I fear the breaking of relationships. There are some relationships in my life that I value more than anything else in life. And in that sense, I fear those people. I I want their approval. There are certain people in life, I want their approval more than anybody else, starting with my family. And the rub might just come there. And he says, you better have your fear perspectives in order. And this is why I say, the takeaway is, I'm a Christian first. God is ultimate to be pleased. I'm a Christian first. Oh, I want to do these other things well. I want to do a lot of other things second. I'll do whatever I can. But if need be, I've got to remember, I'm a Christian first. Then also to encourage us. These are great verses out of context, quite honestly, which is dangerous, but they are great verses out of context, but in context, they're really important. Verse 29, and, and, and excuse me, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Rel- relatively worthless birds, sorry, bird lovers, relatively worthless birds, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from, again, I love it, your father. So, He's my Father. That's a big deal, if you're thinking Christianly. And not only is He my Father, He not only means well, He actually is sovereign and in control and powerful. You see the the dots that are getting connected. He's in charge. He's in control. He rules over, even providentially. Not, Not a single one of those birds. Can it be? And then He says... But even the hairs on, of your head are all numbered. He's arguing from the, the lesser to the greater. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So good and encouraging and helpful. Lord, what is happening in my family? Lord, what is happening in this relationship? Lord, what, what is happening in the church? Lord, what is happening in the culture? What is happening around me? What in the world is going on? Why is it bringing so much conflict in my life? Well, there might be lots of answers to those questions. There might be few answers to those questions, but I at least know that God is sovereign and in charge, and He even accomplishes greater purposes even through bad actors. And I'm going to breathe my last breath, not one breath early. So you're meant to be encouraged by that, to be resting in that, not afraid in that. 32 says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, the idea is what's real, Okay, even under, under potential scrutiny. It's one thing to do it in private. It's another thing to, to do it in front of people so then it shows that it's legitimate. I, will, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. The word's used for Judas, but notice he says Whoever. 34 says do not think that i have come to bring peace on earth peace to earth i have not come to bring peace but a sword and for effect can we just step back for a second and say just for effect god don't strike me dead by lightning i will qualify it that's not true i didn't come to bring peace on earth i mean hasn't jesus ever been to one of our, our christmas eve services <laughs> We quote Isaiah, right? Peace on earth. He most certainly, definitely, absolutely came to bring peace. He came to bring peace between us and God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God and it's faith in Christ. Christ brings peace. You were at war with God even if you didn't know you were at war with God and he was at war with you and you have peace with God because of Jesus. Jesus. He definitely came to bring peace. Not only that, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, I believe it is, and in fact it is, He Himself is our peace. And not only is He our peace on this level, He's actually our peace on this level. There's no longer a distinction between different kinds of people. Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek, He's our peace there as well. So how can we have unity before us and God? Through Christ, He brings peace between other human beings. Through Christ, He's our peace. So, what does He mean? I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. I didn't come to bring peace in general. I didn't come to bring peace apart from the gospel. I didn't come to bring peace apart from myself and my work that's that's central to everything. I didn't come to bring peace maybe the way an unbeliever would want me to make peace. Can't we all just get along? Your truth, my truth, everything subjective doesn't matter. No, there's a real God and you have a real problem. And humanity has a real problem. So I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. We know he doesn't mean literally context everything about it would be that's not literal but what does a sword do a sword divides a sword is severe and Jesus does that he does that 35 says for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Again, I reminded you earlier, I'm so thankful to know that I am actually part of a greater household, even if my household is in shambles because of the gospel. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Remember, I'm a Christian first. He's not saying you shouldn't love father and mother, you actually should. But first and foremost, more than me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, as in ultimate meaning, fulfillment in the temporal. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, as in authentic meaning and fulfillment, ultimate life in Christ. This is all so troubling. It's all so troubling because what's normal is to have good relationships in your family. But our world is broken by sin and it causes people to be spiritually insane because the Prince of Peace, because the one who came to save his people from their sins and who would bring unity in and through himself, is sometimes seen as bad, if not criminal, and so are his people. This is sad. We've got to be Christians first, though we might be lots of other things. Let's go to verse 40. Here's some encouragement. We're going to end on the encouragement side of things. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. That's good and important on lots of levels. That's good and important even on the level of being a recipient. right? I'm a Christian not because I saw Jesus. I'm a Christian because a herald, a proclaimer, came to me and told me about him and called me to believe in him. But he says, whoever receives you, the deliverer, because you're giving the message, receives me. And if you receive me, you receive my Father. Equal faith to eyewitnesses even to these disciples. That, that's encouraging. There's, there's solidarity. There's unity. Then 41 says, the one who receives, uh, think of welcomes and therefore agrees with the message. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, he's talking about the disciples, but they're trusting in him so they have childlikeness Whoever sees one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. A couple of things. One would be prophets in the Old Testament were people who speak for God. Thus saith the Lord. And prophets oftentimes were rejected by the people of God. So they come and speak the truth and the people love their sins so much it's made them insane. And so they persecute the prophets crazy. But in better times, when we're thinking more sanely, if we're in the Old Testament world, we admire prophets, right? So theoretically, we say prophets are good. Prophets are to be esteemed. Prophets speak for God. We all like us some prophets. But then when the prophet comes and tells us something we didn't want to hear, we persecute the prophet, which is crazy and insane. I think he's using that verbiage on purpose to encourage the disciples. Just because you're rejected doesn't mean you're not telling the truth. You're like the Old Testament prophets. You're speaking the truth, which is good for people to hear, which will help them, which will encourage them, which will bring bring them deliverance. But we know how it ends so often for the prophets. So that's meant to be encouraging. Uh, Also, I find it really interesting the way he's saying if you receive them, you're rewarded like they're rewarded. If you encourage them, you're rewarded like they're rewarded. I'll tell you what. What that makes me want to do in principle is encourage those who proclaim the gospel to other people. Because if I encourage those who proclaim the gospel to other people, it says that I get the same reward they get. Like, it's like we're partnering together in gospel ministry. So that, that's really good. That's motivating. This, in the first century, this would have motivated me to, to not only believe their message but to want to host them in my home and do all I could to encourage them because as they're being faithful to proclaiming the truth, God counts me to being faithful to proclaiming the truth. It's one of the, one of the a key texts that we would uh, use to talk about why we would want to unite in doing gospel ministry, promoting and protecting the gospel. Because there's benefit to all of us, whether we're the upfront person or not. Sharing in their reward. The good news is that Christ died for our sins. It reconciles us to God. But the good news is not always seen as good, and that's the bad news to us. And it makes life really hard. Sometimes really, really, really hard. Please be encouraged that Jesus talked about this ahead of time. Please be encouraged if the conflict is close to home, in your home, your family, whether it's with your parents or your kids or in-laws, brothers and sisters. Please remember, 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 remember as we're going to eat and drink in remembrance of Christ that you're a Christian first. doesn't mean, therefore, you want to be a jerk to other people or that the other relationships don't matter. God has given us good relationships, important relationships. We want to be at peace with all insofar as we can. But please remember, to quote the Apostle Paul, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That helps you to remember that you're a Christian first. You're a Christian first. And so you'll follow Christ to the very very end because He and He alone has the words of eternal life. Eventually, Jesus will say to the disciples, do you guys want to leave? Because many are going to leave. And they will say to Him, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're a Christian if you are a Christian. First, and that affects how you view all of your relationships. It's a great takeaway. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you even for hard sermons and hard texts. Uh, we, want, we, we long for the ultimate kingdom. We, all, we long for the return of Christ. We long for the day where there's no more tears, no more conflicts. But we know and have been taught by Jesus that this is not it. And so thank you for allowing us to be citizens of that coming kingdom to be together in fellowship as citizens. But Lord, our hearts break in the here and now. We long for those we know to trust in Christ. We long for the tension and animosity to go away. But Lord, help us to remember that we're Christians if we are Christians first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.